The first step in getting closer to God is to realize that you need to or that you want to. And the second step in getting closer to God is to realize that it's possible. I want to encourage you to check out my book, Getting Closer to God, Anthologies from the Forefront Trilogy, Book 2. I think this will really be helpful to you in your pursuit of the Lord and help you understand what I learned over the first 30 plus years of my life as a believer, as a minister, and as a missionary in uh, a lot of the countries of the earth. Check it out. Anthologies from the Forefront, Book 2, Getting Closer to God. It's on Amazon. Hi, Scott McClellan for FX Missions Podcasting. We have got an interesting episode for you today. Where were you on 9-11? I think anybody you ask in the U.S. where they were on 9-11, they have a memory of it. It's forever a part of who they are. And they can share that with you in some detail. That's my first question to the folks on the interview, a Guy and Vicky Yasika. I think you're going to be super interested in their take on that day, the events that unfolded and how it's affected not only the world we live in, but their lives in particular. Hope you'll join me for Where Were You on 9-11? from FX Missions, From the Forefront podcast. Welcome to From the Forefront, an FX Missions podcast with your host, Scott McClelland. Far and wide, and sometimes here at home, these bold and courageous souls that answer the call to missions have a steely metal that insists pioneering be part of their daily routine. Let's gather today and learn from those on the forefront. Here's Scott. Hi, this is Scott McClelland here for FX Missions Podcasting. Thanks for being with us. Very happy today to be joined by some special guests, half of which have been on the podcast before, and this is the first time for our other guest. So welcome, you guys. I just want to ask you, where were you on 9-11-2001? This is a special edition of the From the Forefront podcast focusing on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. It's a common theme, I think. A lot of folks say, you know, when you're talking about the subject, where were you on 9-11? What was going on that day? What do you remember about it? So many strange and unique and particular memories of that day. I know I have some, but probably not as close to home, if you will, as our guests here. I'd like to introduce to you Guy and Vicki Yasika. Welcome. Thank you, Scott. Thanks, Scott. <laughs> Thank you guys for being here. Guy, you and I have talked a little bit about this uh, previously, of course, on and off the air, if you will. It's our first time to have Vicki on the podcast, so very excited about that to get a more complete perspective of the story from both spouses' side. And also, Vicki, I'm pretty sure you've raised the IQ of the podcast today by, by <laughs> maybe, uh, I don't, maybe I don't want to think about how high you've raised it, but thank you for being here. I think that'll be obvious. Thanks thank you. Thank you. Guy, can I start with you? Where were you on 9-11-2001? At 8.30 in the morning, I, I happened to be on the 78th floor of Tower One, uh, World Trade Center, New York City. I can feel that 20 years later here, just the magnitude of that statement. At that same time, Vicki, at 8.30 on that morning, where, where were you? Well, I'm embarrassed to say, but I was still sleeping because <laughs> I went to sleep very late that oh. night. And I was woken up by a phone call mm. from my father-in-law. Yeah. What was the phone call? What was that about? He called and asked me where Guy was, and I had no idea what was happening. So I said, he's at work. Why? And he told me to put on the television. And on that note, we got off the phone, and I saw the image, you know, of the plane hitting the building. And like everyone else, I was trying to wrap my brain around what's happening. Was this an accident? Was this you know, a little commuter plane, mm. What what's going on, you know, until you started to see the second plane come. 
Yeah. And then, you know, like everyone else, I knew, but I didn't know where Guy was. I didn't know the condition mm. of my husband at that yeah. time. Yeah. And so the 78th floor, that's where your office was in World Trade Center One. Am I right, Guy? Yeah, it's called the Sky Lobby. It's where the, I call it the vertical train stop. Then you have to catch the next elevator to the upper floor. Okay. And for those of us who are, I mean, are you guys native New Yorkers? North Jerseyers. Okay. So under the shadow of World Trade One, practically, you're from the area there. For those of us who, I, I never saw World Trade Centers 1 and 2 in, in person, with the exception of maybe flying over once, but those buildings from a magnitude standpoint were massive and what 110 stories to the top right yep you could see them very clearly from new jersey wow yeah so do i remember from a previous conversation properly guy that you you were you had a meeting something was going on you were in at your desk you were there early and something happened that pulled you out of your normal spot Am I remembering that right? That's exactly right. I, I had a call scheduled eight thirty with somebody from Computer Associates and mm -hmm. my boss. It was a conference call we had scheduled for business purposes, obviously. And mm -hmm. I got the call at eight thirty, and I was prepared to make the next call to conference in the guy from CA. And instead, I was told that the call has been canceled. I got my next half hour back. Essentially, mm -hmm. I could do whatever I wanted to do or needed to yeah. do. So you and a couple of friends bugged out to the break room or something. Yeah. Two of my friends, co-workers came in early and, you know, I'm sitting at my desk getting probably checking email or something. And they just said, hey, you want to go down to the you know cafeteria, which is on the 42nd floor for, for breakfast? And I said, well, I just got my half hour freed up. Might as well. And, you know, get something to eat. So we went down for my favorite meal, Diet Pepsi and granola. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Etched on your mind, of course, I'm sure today. So how did, was it stairs or elevator when you were headed down? The elevator, you know, yeah, everything is elevators for the most part, because mm -hmm. if you're into the staircase, you could potentially get locked into the staircase, which is not where you'd want to be. But uh, yeah, it was elevator down to the 42nd floor, actually 43rd floor. And then you had to walk down to the 42nd floor through mm -hmm. a different staircase, not the fire staircase. Mm -hmm. So how long after you had arrived at the break room, the lunchroom, was impact on the tower you were in? Well, it's funny. You know, we literally just sat at the table when uh, the plane hit. I just put my drink down. I put my granola down and sat down and the plane hit. And those buildings are designed to sway in the wind, as it were. There's some flexibility to them. The engineers say they could sway as much as 10 feet in either direction in a high wind. And they swayed. I mean, when the plane hit, they moved pretty severely mm. to the point where I, you know, to give you a visual, I, I grabbed the table in front of me mm. for stability as my drink fell over. So it was a bit of a shocking event and we didn't know what, what happened. And we just kind of looked at each other. It was a, kind of a scary, a scary moment. And your two friends are still with you there. You're still together. I would imagine the drama began to unfold pretty quickly at that point. But from a communication standpoint, if I remember right, everything's starting to unfold. Things are happening. Lots going on. No way really for you to be in touch with Vicky at that point. Vicky, what were you, what was happening to you and what was your experience when you were seeing on the screen the images that no one will ever forget in a lifetime? What were you experiencing? I tried calling Guy right away at the office, not on the cell phone. It kept going to voicemail. So I foolishly took that as a good sign, like, well, at least the phone system's still intact. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the doorbell's ringing. I'm still in my pajamas. And, uh, People just started to pour into my house. I had no idea why, you know, until later that they were coming to support me in case I received bad news. But mm -hmm. my mind hadn't gone there yet. Yeah. Yeah. A lot was happening in a little bit of time. And I guess in that kind of a situation, maybe things feel like they speed up in some regards. 
And in some regards, time stands still, I'm sure. But we'll find out more later in terms of detail as to when you actually... (laughs) I'm getting choked up here, guys. Sorry. Um, When you (laughs) actually reconnected with each other. But Mm -hmm. it was, uh, I know, very meaningful at that at that time but as of now you're really in two separate orbits so i would imagine that gears began to turn pretty quickly at the lunchroom in uh world trade center one what what's next guy you know the, what, what you're what we're what you're supposed to do and what you're trained to do right is, is listening for the pa were we supposed to go up because if the bad thing happened below us or were we supposed to go down because the bad thing happened above us we didn't know we didn't know what to do. We looked around for the cafeteria people. They're gone. I mean, they they bugged out so fast. I mean, it was ridiculous. I mean, I didn't even see them leave. That's how fast they left. It was crazy. And, you know, we looked out the windows and we started seeing debris fall from the windows. So we, we decided to go down. And then we couldn't figure out where the emergency exit was. It was kind of funny that a bit of a comical moment is when one of the guys I was traveling with, like hesitated to hit the emergency bar, you know, to open the door. I was like, you know, mm-hmm. this is an emergency. What is hit the bar kind of thing. <laughs> yes. but so I did. And, and we got into the staircase and, and the staircase was as you, it was just mobbed. I mean, there were just two lines of people on each stair going down, like marching down the stairs one step after the other very slowly. The chaos that as we were entering the doorway was significant because there are some people that wanted to get down quicker and there were other people that just were being patient. And there were other people, um, woman standing next to me started having a, a panic attack. Kind of funny story. She actually found me several years later in, in a blog post. Uh, you can mm-hmm. talk about that later if you want. But she was panicking. So I just said, listen, you know, come on down. I'll keep your mind engaged. You don't think about what we're, what we're doing. And we'll get through this together. So we entered the staircase and started a very orderly, very slow. Uh, it was oh, orderly. They still didn't know what happened. Yeah, there was no indication from us. And, and honestly, thank goodness that we didn't know. We didn't know of anything. A plane had hit. We assumed it was an explosion. We knew it was an explosion of some sort. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody you know, fathomed it was a plane. You know, we were, I guess in a bit of a state of confusion and shock. So, you know, we were making some humor out of it to just distract ourselves and distract the other people in the staircase with us. And especially the people that were traveling with us, this woman we picked up and another woman we picked up who was having trouble breathing because of the, uh, the fumes in the, uh, the staircase from the, from the uh, fuel being burned. So the, the staircase is heating up. I don't know if there's debris, but certainly fumes. Is there smoke at this point in the staircase? What is the, Make us feel like we're there in terms of the sensations that you were having, the challenges to breathe, that kind of thing. So it was just, I mean, it was it was a staircase, probably about 80 to 85 degrees. It was a warm autumn day, or it's actually still summer day, like September, right? But the, the air wasn't smoky, but there was a taste to the air, if you will. And the mood was solemn in the staircase. Mm-hmm. It was just a very slow descent. You know, we, we went down the stairs and, you know, a couple of events that happened in the staircase that I can relate. One of the first events, other than the two women that were, you know, having trouble going down, mm-hmm. uh, the way down, we ran into a fireman going up. Now, we, we knew that, you know, wherever he was going, wasn't we had already gone down maybe 10 flights at this point. So he's already come up probably about 30 flights in full fire armor, if you will, you know, oxygen tank, fire retardant clothes, hat. And as I said, it was 80 degrees. I I just can't imagine what that guy was thinking in his head or where he obviously knew what he was walking into. We didn't know what we were walking out of. I just, I honestly, I still remember his face. It's one of those faces that stays in your head. Anyway, also traveling down the stairs, we uh, ran into a guy in a wheelchair. Me and one of my companions offered to take him down the stairs we offered to carry him down the stairs and he said no i'll i don't want to tie up the staircase i'll wait till you know it slows down and i'll let some of the emergency people take me down later we learned that um he passed he didn't get out um or not through a tv show it was talking about people in the staircase and and him specifically and his oh. friends said how people had offered to take him down and he 
he declined. And it's because of his he declined. There were probably more people got out because he did decline. So, right, it would have slowed the entire descent. Everybody behind you, I would have would have had to wait, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. As we got down the stairs, that's when you kind of knew things were better. Right around the third or the fourth floor, I didn't pressure my memory by reading my story, Scott. I apologize. I'm going. No, no worries. Point. I, I struggle reading it still, to be honest with you. Survivor's guilt is one of those horrible things that it's very difficult to get through. But anyway, in the staircase, there were it was because the water is stored at the top of the trade center, and because of the torque when the plane hit that sway back and forth, all the water pipes broke, and literally the staircase was flooded. There were little cascades of waterfalls, even as we still got there coming down the staircase. So it became somewhat of a, a slippery slope you know, to go down the stairs and get out. Mm-hmm. At this point, you know, because of people entering and stuff like that, I've separated from my companions and the woman had gotten outside the staircase and we had separated also. And now I was kind of in a mindset of, because I have had first responder training as a renter with an ambulance corner in my town, I was looking for ways to be of service or get out of the way. You know, if I could be, if I could help, if I could jump on, you know, a situation and, if there was somebody hurt or if there was somebody in the responders was asking for help or something. So that, you know, in my head, the best thing I could do was help or the best way to help would be get out of the way and not clog things up because they need to set up a triage spot and work from that triage spot. I knew enough that I didn't know their protocols. So either I'd hamper them or I would assist them, but I didn't want to hamper them. So yeah. if I couldn't help, I wanted, I wanted to just kind of move along as it were. Yes. And you're you're separated from your group to separated from the lady who, who kind of you were keeping calm or she was keeping you calm. Maybe you were keeping each other calm. So and you're in the lower floors of the staircase at this point, fighting what is a threat from water, poor traction, you know, water coming down. Is the staircase filling up with water at all or is that not that's not happening? No, it's just slippery because the water is rolling down to the basement. There's quite a significant infrastructure below the Trade Center. Uh-huh. So there was no danger of, you know, the, the staircase filling up. You know, one important thing I forgot to mention, Scott, and, I, and I, I, I'm really ashamed that I forgot to mention it, is after the plane hit and the building stabilized, you know, I did get on my knees and thank God, you know, for sparing me because, I, you know, we knew something bad happened. Yeah. We didn't know what happened. You know, I knew it was a significant event. And I didn't know what else to do other than to pray. So yes. I, I think part of that answered prayer to get was to get out of that, to get out of that predicament safely and to help whoever I could get out of that predicament. The woman that that we helped down the staircase, I, I did a LinkedIn post. Her friend had found my post and that woman had found the post also and left me a message and thanked me 10 years later, 15 years later. Wow. And, you know, for for getting the fact that she even found me was miraculous. Indeed, but it, was, it was a good connection. Wow, I know that was so meaningful to you to, to get the feedback, and also you found out, I guess, more about her situation after that day. What's happening, Vicky, on the home front? We're we're getting close to the bottom of World Trade Center One, with the hazards and the traffic jams. And the slow and some people wanting to go faster and that kind of thing. What's happening? I'm guessing by this time, a number of relatives and or friends were were in your house. And what's the mood like there? Very solemn. We had my mom was here. A couple of friends and neighbors had come over and we were just glued to the TV in between praying. You know, we would stop and pray. I would try and call Guy. And we were watching news, and that was the sequence of events for the the morning. Just like everyone else, we watched, you know, the the plane hit the Pentagon. At this point, not only am I personally involved in it because my husband's in Tower One, but as an American, I'm aghast at what's going on in our country. You know, nothing seemed to make sense. We didn't understand who was doing this, why they were doing it, what was happening. So again, we were just very committed to prayer. And then I had gone in the kitchen to get drinks for everybody. And my neighbor yelled out, 
the Tower One had collapsed. And a few minutes later, one of the other people came in and told me, oh, no, it was Tower Two. And then I kind of fell to my knees in the kitchen, thanking God that there was still a chance that guy was safe. Because at that point on the news, they were not showing anybody coming out. So all we knew is the plane hit the first tower, hit the second tower, and there are no people. It must have happened too quickly for anybody to get out. Mm. You know, and then we saw the Pentagon and then Pennsylvania, the plane crash. And Mm. then they started showing, you know, as the tower was falling, people running. And uh, somebody said to me, you know, are you okay? And I just said, I'm, I asked them to pray for me. And I said, until I know otherwise, I am not a widow. Sorry. We're going to get through this. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that's powerful. And I promise I'm going to do my best to talk <laughs> on this interview. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll, we may yet have our moments. One other important point, though, at this point, I am in my regular clothes and out of my pajamas. So just so everybody understands. Yes, yes. You, that's good. You, Especially as the more visitors are showing up, You that had to have been a, an improvement over all things that were going on. Yes. I really appreciate the way you were holding on to hope there. I got to believe that played a part in the outcome. Honestly, Scott, that was the Lord holding me up. It's only something that could be supernatural. That's not mm-hmm. something that in the natural you can really do with something with that type of gravity. Yeah. Yeah, that was an infusion of hope that you were getting. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, surrounded by prayer warriors lifted me up as well. Mm. Nothing I was doing, that's for sure. Whew. That's powerful. Take us out, guy. Take us outside from the ground floor. So once I get once I get us out of the stairwell, we're in the lobby of Tower One. And the destruction is incredible. The Tower One, there isn't a ceiling tile in place. All the glass is all broken because of because that's the ground zero for the torque of the building. So all the glass was snapped out, out and cracked. There was debris and all the things you see on TV going on outside. It was a war zone. It was absolutely, I tell people, just if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon and you try to take a picture of it, you can't capture the majesty of the Grand Canyon. It's the exact same thing in the opposite direction, the ground level of of Tower One. Your mind can't grasp the destruction. It can't grasp the horror. It can't grasp the smells. It can't grasp the screams. It can't grasp the emotion of what was going on down there. I still can't grasp it, and I still bury it deep inside and mm. try to forget it. Mm. Anyway, they ushered us through the tower, the lobby, into the what they call the mall, which connects the entire World Trade Center infrastructure, Tower 1, 2, through 7. And they ushered us out through the mall to one of the exit points near Broadway, and that's, it's then when they, you know, we could look up and look outside and and see what happened. They, cause they were telling us, you know, don't look up and just keep walking. So, you know, what do you do when somebody says, don't do something? You, when you're a guy, you, you, you do it. So, <laughs> yes. You know, we turned around, we looked, and right where, frankly, my office was, there was a gaping hole. It turns out the plane hit about 10 floors above my office. So had I not gotten that phone call, I would have seen, I would have been bird's eye view of the bottom of the plane because that's the side my office was facing. I would have known exactly what was happening, and I would have gone up because I know the mindset that I had at the time. I was trying to be helpful. I would have gone up, not down. I would have tried to help and find people that needed some type of first aid or something. So had I been in my office, this conversation would not be happening. Hmm. And I think about that every day. Anyway, so we got outside. For those of you that are familiar with New York, there's the Trinity Church, one of the older churches from the 17th, 18th century out there with uh, the little graveyard out there. I 
again, got on my knees in front of that church and prayed and just thank God that, you know, that I got this far. I didn't know. And this, at this point, none of the towers had collapsed. Everything was, you know, everybody was coming. Everybody was coming to the trade center like it was a parade going on. Everybody was coming and making a wall of people to see everything and see the, uh, the destruction and all the other things going on. Anyway, when I got up off my knees, I turned around and for those of you that I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of this or a joke of this, but there was a cab from New York City with its doors open. You can't find a cab in New York, let alone a cab with its doors open begging for you to come in. So, you know, I still had one of my traveling companions with me. We got in the uh, in the cab and we asked to go to New Jersey. And he said, sorry, all the tunnels and bridges are closed right now. I said, can you take us to the train station? And he said, sure. We didn't know if the trains were running or not running, but we, we decided to go. So as we got in the cab and he turned around and started heading north, that's when Tower 2 had collapsed. So literally, I escaped the collapse of Tower 2 by a minute or two, which was, uh, again, I, you know, I, I just see where the Holy Spirit was pushing me along and guiding me along and pushing me in a direction where I needed to get to safety. I don't know why. I'm not sure why, but I'm still pondering those questions yes anyway they let us out near the train station and i walked over to a store i still have the business card it's not mm. a business now the 33rd street galleria on 7th avenue in new york city it's right across the street from the madison square garden and the train station i got down into this building to the store and, and asked the owner if i could borrow his phone and he just looked at me and said, you were there. And I just said, yes. I said, I got to call home. Let my wife know I'm okay. So it took a couple of dials, but finally the phone connected and the phone rang. And my wife and I just cried. Hmm. Wow. We're, we're talking about several hours, I guess, or at least a few hours that had been unfurling, I guess, it, it, as you were trying to get out and all the traffic jams and the redirections and the, all that stuff. But you're able to get a call through, which itself is one more miracle in a long list, I think. What were you feeling, Vicki? What, what happened right then? Well, this was about four hours later, uh, three or four hours later. And on the caller ID, it came up as New York. So I didn't know it was Guy. I, I didn't know who was calling. I didn't know if it was the police calling me. But the minute I heard his voice, that was the minute that I collapsed onto the floor. And we just cried together on the phone. I was so grateful that my husband survived. Yeah, to me that that is uh, powerful to get the assurance, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and still there was a lot yet to happen in the day, but just to get the connection that our hopes are, are realized, you're, you've survived near certain death. Yeah. Yeah. Praise God. Yeah. I could imagine also the emotion of everything was building, 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 building until that moment when it all, it went, it went everywhere. Uh, yeah. yeah. There was release and such relief and such gratitude, you know, and I know it wasn't anything short of a mirror. I mean, it was, you know, it was miraculous that he was out because I knew just as guy said earlier, I knew that he would be trying to help people. And as wonderful as that is, as a wife, you don't want your husband to get killed or injured or, you know, left behind. So I can't explain the level of gratitude and the fact that this was miraculous, that he was able to get out. We heard a an interview later on with the New York Fire Department, and they said that the 78th floor was gone. 
And that was the floor that his office was on. Hmm. So, had you know, one phone call, one email, even talking with his coworkers at the water cooler could have been his demise. Yeah, any little thing that could have and almost daily would detain you Did, didn't manage to didn't manage to keep him. Thank God. No. no. Thank God. Yes. Absolutely. It was only by the glory of God that he got out and that we were reunited. And then that's also bittersweet because there's guilt. You know, there's guilt on his part. There's guilt on my part for rejoicing when others are suffering and crying and have suffered that loss. You know, so this is not to minimize what others have gone through. Can you talk into that a little bit, Guy? What what I know you're there's an issue there of surviving. Would you unpack that a little bit for us and just in the interest of understanding? I gotta tell you, Scott, most people don't get it. Even after you you describe it to them. I, I can share with you I was invited to Indiana to a for a speaking engagement around the tenth anniversary. And I was speaking at a country fair. And I brought up the topic of survivor's guilt and how you live with it every day and you wonder why and you wonder why not. And then you wonder the dozens of ways you should have died or could have died or you just cheated death somehow. Anyway, there was a a group of Vietnam vets that came over to me at the end of that conversation. And we just did this six-person hug and just cried, all six of us, and said, we get it. We we understand your thinking. We understand where you're at. And that's the closest I've come to somebody understanding the thinking that you, you go through in, mm-hmm. in those types of events. You know, it, it, it's hard, even in, even in the, uh, the aftermath, because unfortunately, most people see this as an event that lasted a day. The trickle-down effect of 9-11 lasted 10 years from me and my wife. Hmm. There was uh, financial hardship. We didn't get a paycheck for a long time. There was all kinds of stuff. And it was kind of funny around the, I don't know, I ran into a couple of guys from the, that were first responders to the tower. And they, they were saying, well, of course you're on your second marriage. You're, you know, of course you're on your first wife at the time were divorced. And I, I said, no, we're actually still together. And I said, wow, that's so weird because like everybody we know that went through 9-11 and survived are experiencing marital strife or divorce. And I think it's because my wife and I stay focused on on the creator and stay focused on Jesus Christ. And, and it actually built our faith up and didn't tear us down. And because I think we kept our focus there, it kept our marriage together. And, and there were times, honestly, Scott, in the 10 years after 9-11, our house was in foreclosure three times. There were times, I can't begin to tell you, the, as a man, the, the humility being broken, the, the inability to take care of your family, and it's devastating. And I'm, I am more than humbled every time I think of the 10 years I put my family through hell. Yeah. I don't think people who were not close to the the situation don't realize the just the economic devastation for all those people who were employed with companies, even those who maybe like yourself and your family were spared, you know, dying in it. There was still a lot of, as you say, over the next years, aftermath continued to unfold. So many companies, so many people that were associated and in, in, in places that were headquartered there, all this kind of stuff, ripple effects, what we call it, shockwaves, maybe would be a better way to put it. That was a significant devastation, not just loss of life, which, of course, is ultimate. But uh, just another thing from your article that I think was pretty interesting to me the train just kind of took you home. That was that was a little bit of a lighter, <laughs> on a lighter point. But I know you got on the train and, you know, they said, get on, get off, get on, get off, get on, get off. You sat there and then, boom, you went home. Yeah, it was kind of funny. They were trying to, 
when we got inside the train station, they said there was a train leaving for Jersey. And I just wanted to get on the other side of the river. I could figure out getting home from there. But it turned out to be the right train. So we got on it. I got on it. And uh, then they were trying to get you off of it because it was mobbed. I mean, it was just like New York City packed shoulder to shoulder, you know, every standing room only, crushed room only. Yeah. And they kept, you know, asking people to leave, asking people to leave. And then it got, you know, a third empty, two thirds empty. 90% empty. And I just, I said, you know what? I got nowhere to go. Sooner or later, this train's going to go to Jersey and I want to be the first one on. I want to go. So I got nowhere else. And at this point, shock is setting in. My legs are exhausted. My emotions are catching up with me. You know, starting to process what just happened is, you know, what you just saw, what you just experienced is all starting to, you know, bubble up inside of you. And you're like, you just, you essentially go into a place where you just want to stop. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't take another step. I didn't want to think of, I didn't want to think about anything else. And as I was going through all that, you know, the, with the train, you know, 10% full, the doors just closed and it took off to Jersey. It was great. It was the one and only time that his stubbornness paid off. <laughs> <laughs> you told her it would pay off one day, right, guy? You, you, you said there was an upside to your stubborn ways and here it was. <laughs> you got across the river. You got to Jersey. Vicky came to get you. She came to meet you at the train station, I think. Yeah, we got down to the Hamilton train station here in Jersey. And it's kind of funny. There was a reporter there trying to get a, a scoop, you know, and I, mm -hmm. I purposely just kind of tried to kept. She wasn't really trying to talk to me, which was great. But she was, for whatever reason, she wasn't trying to talk to me. She was trying to talk to everybody else. I guess I had the attitude of leave me alone. I had my New York City on, I guess. But, you know, she avoided me. And then when Vicky pulled up, because my car keys were on my desk, you know, my mm, car yeah. was in the parking lot, but there was no way to get it home. So when they came, Vicky came to pick me up, we just, you know, hugged each other for about, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. I don't know. It seems like forever. Mm -hmm. That's when the reporter kind of knew something was up. And then she yeah. came over to ask some questions, but we just politely declined. And, and we, thank God she wasn't, you know, forceful or pushy or anything. And then we went home together. Yeah. That is powerful. Vicki, what were you thinking on your way to the train station? Do you have any memory of that? Yeah, we had a, a friend had driven me so that, you know, we could get Guy's car when we got there. And I would then drive, you know, Guy and I would drive home. And um, I just couldn't wait. I just couldn't wait to feel his arms around me. You know, there were certain things that are a sign of life, you know, things that we as wives and women sometimes complain about. You know, I always complain about he gets really close to the hamper, but just doesn't get it right in there. And <laughs> that's always a thorn in my side. But that day I would have given anything to see his dirty clothes in front of the hamper, you know, so. Driving there, all these thoughts were racing through my mind. And then once I saw him, it was it was almost like slow motion. You know, like we just ran into each other's arms and just held on for dear life. And it was mm. just a wonderful, wonderful moment. Um, and that's kind of, I think, when I really believed that he was okay. You know, even though I talked to him on the phone, it was being able to touch him. You know, and see him with my own eyes. Wow. What a joy, relief. Yes. I'm sure what thankfulness just flooded your hearts. I know that you've had some reflections, and I want to make sure and get anything out here. We're probably closing up over the next couple of questions. I think the article that I read most recently, Guy, was, is, uh, from 14. So I know you're continuing to process this. Some things, you know, you got right away. Same with you, I'm sure, Vicki. There's certain impressions you got right away. But mm -hmm. what has it meant to you over time? What do you, how do you think about it now differently than you did in the beginning? For me, it's God gave us a story to share a testimony of His grace of how he holds us up in trials and tribulations, how he uses these things for our good, not to harm us. And it's kind of 
unimaginable. I mean, I never would have expected this. I know I never would have foreseen this happening. If anybody had told me what we were about to go through, not only that day, but for the next 10 years, it, it could cause a mental break, you know, but God allowed things to happen to us over the next decade that grew us because you only grow in the valley. You don't grow on a mountaintop. Yes. Uh, we drew so much closer to him. Our faith was put to the test. And, you know, it's it's very nice and easy to go to church, read scripture, join a Bible study. But the rubber meets the road when you go through a trial. Hmm. And that's when you see God's mighty hand. That's wow. when you see the power of Jesus Christ is when you are not relying on your own strength, but completely surrendering all. I think we we think we know what that means long before we get there. <laughs> I think we have a mistaken self-assurance, I guess. But when you go there, I think the the mark of that and the value of it also cannot be stolen from you. It's yeah. it's uh, with you forever. And it's part of the story and part of the forming of who you are in Christ of that what trials turn to gold, you know, of he's making up his jewels, right? He's, you know, walking yes. through it with us. Things that shape us in ways nothing else will. Very well said, Vicky. Thank you. Thank you. Guy, how about you? What's different now about your perception of what happened, you know, in the second 10 years? Is there something that you've grown into or understood better in the second 10 years since 9-11-2001? Scott, you asked such good questions. Last time you rocked my world with the forgiveness question. Now you're doing it again. It's it's funny when you when you have these conversations and when you the way I process this stuff is not the same way my wife does, right? It, I, mm. I, I tend to bury it. I tend to push it down, try to forget about it. And then I have these conversations. And when I think about these things, everything comes, the emotions come rushing back. Remembrances come rushing back. You, you know, the one-offs come rushing back. What I will say is that most people believe that some of these things that happen to people are just you know, one day is day in the life of kind of thing, one day, one moment, you know, time to get over it kind of thing. I think everybody goes through a 9-11 event, whether it's cancer, whether it's loss of a loved one, whatever the event is, I think every one of us passes through that test, that 9-11 event of their life. And how they respond to that will dictate how they live the rest of their life out. Now, my wife and I were very lucky in that we had a grounded faith. The 10 years of, of hell we went through has positioned her well as she does Christian counseling today. And mm. there is a great deal of empathy for what we went through and the people she talks to. She doesn't say with a faint heart, I'll pray for you. She walks people through the issues emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, with great guidance and great intelligence. And she's a gifted Christian counselor. But I think part of that the reason she's so gifted is she knows what it's like to be on the other side of that conversation. You know, as, as a husband, it's it's still hard for me to process that I put her in that position and put my family in that position. I still remember three months after 9-11, we hadn't gotten a paycheck. And uh, we were obviously very far behind on our bills, tapped out our savings at that point in time already. And we were told to go to New York to one of the Red Charities. Cross charity centers. And, mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, Vic, those are designed for people that died. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not dead. You know, I'm, I'm still yeah. And then, of course, you start thinking, you know, your family would be so much better off if you were dead. But anyway, mm -hmm. so I went to this relief center and walked out of there with a check to get us all caught up on all our bills. And I just sat outside. I called Vicky and, and I just sat outside the door and cried. I cried mm -hmm. for a half hour. I just, I was humiliated, comforted, blessed. The range of emotions were just immense. And, and unfortunately that, those feelings and those emotions would repeat themselves over and over again. I guess my stubbornness didn't pay off because God was teaching <laughs> me lessons over and over again. <laughs> you know, looking back on it, 
there's a part of me that I wouldn't have signed up for the whole experience, but watching God move and watching the things that happen to us and, and being at that place where there, you know, I mean, people, I can understand poverty. I mean, we had $20 in our hand and we could go get gas for the car. We could go buy food or we keep the lights on, but we didn't have the option for all three. It was one, we had to pick one each yeah. and every we had a little bit of cash. What, what could we do with that little bit of cash? We went from a place of doing very well financially to a place of absolute you know, devastation. Like I said, we were in foreclosure three different times. But having gone through it, my wife and I, are we have a strong marriage. We have a strong belief in our Savior. And she is helping so many people now in her Christian walk and her Christian ministry. I think God did it purposefully. I think God used the event to help her and to help her help so many different people. So in one breath, I'm glad we went through it because you see so much and you experience so much. I mean, people ask all the time, you know, was you, is your faith strong? You know, obviously you have a strong belief in God now because of what you went through. I was like, no, I had a, I had a strong belief before I went through it, which is how I got through it. But I, I think it was certainly refined, you know, in the fire. To say to, to, yes. to use a reference, purified, right? Absolutely. So today we have a you know a great marriage. Today we're still getting our house in shape from 20, ten years of total neglect, but it's still a process, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And for me, one of the lessons was humility and humbleness, and knowing that we're not in control, you know, and that God is in control. But he also blessed us with so many people that came alongside of us. My mother and dad helped us out where they could. Churches helped us out. The the Baptist Council of New Jersey helped us out. Mm. Strangers helped us out. Larry Burkett's Money Matters. <laughs> yes. To help us. It was amazing to watch God work. You know, it, it gave us mana for today. Hmm. And that went on for 10 years. Wow. I just think something really eternal has been cultivated in you through what you went through. The kind of value, not only your story, but the kind of value that you have as a result of completing that process in faith it's impossible to exaggerate, and mm. I thank God for it. I really do. Thank Before you. I start crying again, let's change the <laughs> subject, please. If you would, just take one moment as we're closing here, Vicki, and tell us about your book and where people can find it, and maybe just give us a little bit of a feel of what you were trying to contribute. Well, my book is called Wounded But Not Broken, 9-11, A Decade. Um, it can be found on Amazon.com. Okay. If you go under other sellers, inspired books is me and I can ship it directly and I can autograph it if anybody is interested. Mm. And basically it just surmises the day events in more detail than we even provided today. And then the trials and tribulations of that decade, but also God's providence and yes. How it doesn't matter, as Guy said, whether it's a 9-11 event or something else, whether it's financial or a marriage or mm. death or illness, God is always there and God is always good no matter what we're going through. And yes. some of that is evidenced in the events that we went through and mm. documented in this book. So this is, you know, the testimony of what we observed God doing in our lives. And there were many, all those things I mentioned, we went through all of that, you know, things related to 9-11 and things unrelated. You know, I lost three people in a two-year period in my life. So we've gone through the gamut (laughs) and we've watched God at work through all of it. Hmm. Well, thank you for that. Thank you also for taking the courage to, to write a book, I know that's a, a risky thing, but I thank God that you did it. Not only is it a risky thing, it's a lot of work. And I've got a book that's going to be finished 
soon. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, well, in some ways, talk. I've got some author, you know, I've got some, I uh, got some compassion here for or empathy or something. Thank you guys so very much for being here and for telling your story. Vicki, especially thank you for being joining Guy and I and kind of giving us a more full picture of what uh, that day was like in your lives and where you were on the morning of 9-11. It was an honor to be here, Scott. Thank you so much for having me. Scott, thank yes. you. And, you know, people ask, you know, why we do these things. And it's it's really because we firmly believe that when God gives you a story, you've got to you've got to share it. And we firmly believe that God spared us. And despite all the negative things we're saying, it's really a very positive, uplifting experience in a lot of ways, as much sadness as it brings to us. We're happy and glad that we get to share it because we get to talk about God's goodness and God's grace in our lives. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's It was a big honor for me. And thank you again. We'll look for a chance to be together. And maybe I'll look you guys up in the Northeast sometime. We can talk about it over dinner. We would love that. I would as well. Thank you. As for me, I'm Scott McClelland uh, with your FX Missions from the Forefront podcast. Thank you so much for joining. Please do share this content and other content that we have with someone you think that would be blessed by it. Keep in mind, we'll have show notes attached and a link to Vicky's book that you can find there. If you'd like to meet, uh, be in contact with me or us, please do so at fxmissions.com. You've been listening to From the Forefront, hosted by FX Missions Scott McClelland. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like more information on today's guest, please go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fxmissions. Please rate our show on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. If you know someone who should be a guest on our podcast, we're currently reviewing candidates for upcoming episodes. Please submit their name, affiliation, and an essay of why their story needs to be told to info at fxmissions.com. And of course, you can always follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website at fxmissions.com. From Scott McClelland and the whole team here at FX Missions, thanks for listening. Till next time, have a great day.